Welcome to the Tomball Bible Church Podcast. We exist to glorify Jesus Christ by making mature disciples to reach the nations. To find out more, visit us online at tomballbible.church. I want to approach this text in two sections, and so I want to give you kind of the passage outline. The first section is verses 7 through 11, and this is about gifts for the church. The gifts for the church. We're going to see that we have a gracious giver, and then we're going to discover more about the equipping gifts that have been given to the church. They're going to come to focus. There's more spiritual gifts, but there are some equipping gifts, and we will look at that. So that's the first section, gifts for the church. Then the second section of verses 12 through 16 will be goals of gifts for the church, what the goals are, what the outcomes are going to be of the gifts that Christ has graciously given to the church. And we'll see a couple of components of that as well. So let's look at this section about the gifts for the church, starting in verse 7. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The first word introduces a contrast. We have the word but. And so here's what's being contrasted. In the previous verse, what we were talking about last week is there is this, this plural instruction to the body in the book of Ephesians. Simply put, the first half of the book is to y'all, us together, the core and central doctrines and instructions of the church. Chapters one through three, instructions to all of us. Chapter four moves into what we share in together, this life that is a spiritually mature life that, that holds in balance, living a life that is worthy of our calling and worthy of the gospel. And this is a you all context. Now he says, but. So what's shifting for for a moment is going from y'all to you. And he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ. Understand this word grace because grace can have a number of different meanings given its context. Earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we're told by the Apostle Paul about how we were once dead in our transgressions and sin without God, without hope in the world, but God, who's rich in mercy, he saved us. Saved us not by works of ourselves, but by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Not by works that could be earned so that we'd boast in it, but by the grace of God. So grace can refer to our salvation, and that context of Ephesians chapter 2 is the meaning there. But the context is different when we come into Ephesians 4 verse 7, because what grace is attached to comes at the end of the verse. Grace was given to each of us, each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Christ is the main subject of verses 7 through 10. He's going to be the focus because Jesus is the gracious giver. So we think about gifts to the church, it comes from Christ who's the gracious giver. A gracious person gives. 
There cannot be the label of graciousness without someone giving. It was gracious, and I'm going to make him uncomfortable, but I'm going to mention it again. It was gracious for Marshall to give time, energy, and skill, even in the midst of his own hardship and challenge. He gave because God has forged within him a gracious heart. That's the two go hand in hand. And to a greater degree, to the infinite degree, stands Jesus. And so Jesus has given a grace which is tied to this idea of a gift. Now what, I want, what you have to see is that grace was given to each one of us. So if you are in Christ, if you have professed your faith in Jesus Christ, every single one of us has been given a gift from Christ to exercise in the church. So Paul introduces this concept that he is going to flesh out in the remaining verses. But like I said, in verses 7 through 10, Jesus is the subject. So let's look at what Paul does. Verse 8 says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse 8, the it of what Paul is quoting is the book of Psalms out of the Old Testament. It's Psalm chapter 68, verse 18. It says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. Now we know that he refers to Christ and his ascension. And so I want to just take a moment because it is the ascension of Jesus that really is the emphasis here. Have you ever imagined heaven, the moment Jesus entered after his ascension? He died on the cross. He proclaimed, it is finished he gave up his spirit. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples. And then he ascended. What do you imagine heaven sounded like the moment he entered the gate? Right? The roar of the angels. The Christ has come. He has ascended. This is Jesus, the only one. I can't help but get excited to think about what it must have been like when the king of all kings returned to his rightful place. He had walked in deep humility. He finished his work and he ascended to his rightful place. This is the gracious giver to the church. The one who has ascended has entrusted something so precious to him that he took possession of it and he has entrusted it to you and to me. When we think about spiritual gifting and the roles that God has called us into, we cannot, we must not forget the giver and his rightful place of authority and power and the treasure that we've received from him. It's why the word gift is used, because it is precious and of tremendous value. 
Verse 9 says, In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, again, the emphasis is on the person of Christ and his victory as the one who has ascended. In Psalm chapter 68, verse 18, the psalm says, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious that the Lord God may dwell there. The wording is slightly different between what you find in Psalm 68, verse 18, and what you find in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. I don't want to get stuck here, but I want to just bring uh, a perspective about what is happening. Paul is taking what is in Psalm 68, and he is applying it to Jesus Christ. In Psalm 68, there's a context there referring to God ascending on high, which is Mount Zion. Mount Zion refers to Jerusalem. It's a metonymy or an idea that stands for a greater uh, idea, uh, uh, all of the sum of its parts. God had led his captives out of Egypt and had established an identity and a place for them in the promised land. So he had ascended and as a victor, as a conqueror, received gifts among men. It says, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Now, there's some background here that I think can help us, especially when it comes to how Paul is applying this to Jesus and why the language has somewhat changed from receiving gifts to giving gifts. And so you can put in your margin Numbers 8 and Numbers 18. In Numbers 8 and Numbers 18, there, there's a description of the Levitical priests. Priests came from a tribe of Levi. Hang with me. You guys with me? Okay. So priests who served in the tabernacle, they came from the family of Levi and the tribe of Levi. And in Numbers 8 and Numbers 18, they are described as gifts from God to the people. And so in that context, God received for himself from among men, even rebellious people who would deny him in the desert and all those things and the ways that the Israelites struggled to remain faithful, he, he received and gave gifts. And so Paul is emphasizing now Christ, who is the one who has ascended, who is returning gifts back to us in a very similar way as the priests were given as gifts to the people. People called to a special role and function for serving the people of God. Are you with me? There's more to be explored. Verses 9 and 10 can be a little tricky, especially verse 9. In saying he ascended, the passage says, what does it mean but that he has also descended into the lower regions, the earth? If you have different versions of the Bible, you're going to read different phrases here. It may say, descended into the lower regions of the earth. Now you may go, so what? But I think it's important just to take a moment to, to just present what are the possible meanings of what's happening in this verse. It says, in saying he ascended, 
What does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? Well, there are three widely held views of what does descended to the lower regions mean. What does that mean? So one possible meaning is that it refers to Christ and he descended into flesh, his incarnation, where he left his heavenly dwelling, took on flesh, and descended to the earth. And that would mean the lower regions equals the earth. But the second meaning is the one that often was held in early church tradition. This is actually the traditional view that Christ descended in his death and that his descension went into the lower regions below the earth to Hades or to Sheol, which was the Hebrew understanding of uh, the place of the dead. Those are two commonly held. And now there's a third view, and that is that the Holy Spirit descended at Pentecost, that, that there is a pairing of the Spirit of Christ descended. Now, there's a distinction between the Son of God and the Spirit of God, but there are, is interchangeable language in Paul's writings and in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And so there are some that see a connection that Christ is the one who ascended and the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit of Christ, is the one who has descended. So those are the three meanings. You can hold all three. You can feel very passionate about all three. But what we're going to agree on is that we're going to hold those with grace. Because the, the view that I take is that this is referring to the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to walk through three that, that I, I just want to present to you for your consideration, and then we're going to move on. Number one is just the arrangement of the wording, that it talks about the one who ascended before it talks about the one who descended. I think this is the weakest of all the arguments, but if you would say Christ ascended, he has not in his person returned yet because he ascended, but who did descend? The Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. That's one. And I think that that, that can work. The other about Christ uh, defeating the powers of, of hell, I think is a challenge when you look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Ephesians 6, 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In Pauline theology, the place of the evil one is not in hell with a pitchfork. Paul uses language of the heavenly realm is where the enemy operates in the physical plane and then also in the spiritual plane. And so from Paul's perspective, I don't necessarily see as there are other passages that talk about Christ proclaiming freedom to those who are held in prison in other contexts in 1 Peter. I don't think that this is necessarily talking about, about that. And so uh, when I, one of the things that helps me consider that this could be the Holy Spirit being referred to is that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, we have this verse. 
And it says, in him, in Christ, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And if we go back to Psalm 68, verse 18, which is quoted, it says that the end result of God ascending on high is that the Lord God may dwell with his people. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22 it teaches us that God's dwelling has been made with us through the work of his Holy Spirit. So that's how I landed there. Again, we're gonna hold it like this. And if you are very passionate about uh, one of the other views, email John Hattenberger. Um, He might agree with you. Um, But here's the point. Here's the point. Jesus is the great gracious giver. And he has entrusted a gift to you. In verse 11, there will be a further explanation of what some of these gifts are. Verse 11, look at that with me. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. These are gifts and roles entrusted to the church with a specific call to lead and equip others. This is not the sum total of all the spiritual gifts that are found in the church. In Paul's context, he's talking about the unity of the church, and he's calling out those gifts that have been called to equip and build up the entire body. And so there's roles of apostles and prophets. I want to put a bracket around those two. In the New Testament, at this time, the apostles were set apart by God for a special authority in the church. I am not an apostle. Paul was an apostle, chosen and set apart by God to reveal new revelation to the church, to help them understand who Jesus was and to to bring new scriptural truth in a new way. An apostle is a messenger sent in the name of the person they represent. These apostles were sent in the name of Christ, carrying his authority to reveal new scripture. We believe that that scripture is closed and that that role is not a current role. It was a temporary one. That goes hand in hand with prophets. This can be a little confusing. And again, I present to you where we are as a team of elders about these roles. That a prophet is someone who is called by God for forth-telling, being able to speak God's truth into someone's life and situation, and that still is active, or foretelling, making predictions about things to come. And we have examples in the New Testament of that happening. And those served as validations to, for the words of the apostles and the prophets that what God was doing among them in a new way was true. But now, there continue to be evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. These are what I would use the phrase, the equipping gifts of the church, and some members of the body have these gifts. So in this first section, Christ is the gracious giver, and some saints are gifted with equipping gifts. This does not make anyone 
better than anybody else in the church because all of the gifts of the Spirit are done by God's grace and are unearned by us. So how do you know God has equipped you or called you into this? How do you know if you are some of the saints in the church who have been gifted with equipping gifts? Well, let me tell you, I believe God reveals that through his spirit and his body, the church. In my life, when I was in college, uh, my, I believe we were engaged at the time. My, my wife and I, we went to my home church and we had a... Uh, kind of the context of the worship service was that if you were prompted at the end of the service to maybe share something with the pastor or come forward for prayer, they would do that. And I just simply asked if I could just say a word of thanks to the church. I don't know why I did it. Maybe because I was in college and I thought I could just take on the whole world, but I did. And I went forward and I just simply said to the church, thank you. Thank you for being a church that has loved me, raised me, built into my life. I just want to say thank you. I'm home from college and wanted to tell you that's it. At the end of the service, a man who's an elder in the church who has known me because his wife did my child care for me when I was little, he pulled me aside and he goes, David, when are you going to go? I said, Gene, go where? He said, into ministry. I see it all over you. What he didn't know is that at that time, I was just in such deep angst about marrying my fiance in the midst of college in a music education degree program that it did not grab my heart. But I had been volunteering and serving in whatever way I could in a local church, and it was gripping me. And I was just wrestling with what am I going to do and which way am I going to go? And to have this man from a place of spiritual authority who knew me Say, here's what I see. It was used by God to redirect my steps. God, by his spirit, works in helping us know what our gift and calling is, and then it is affirmed by the body. So those who have this gift, now we move into what they are called to do, and this moves us into the second section where we talked about the gifts for the church, and now we're going into the goals of gifts for the church. Here's the outcomes that are supposed to happen. Verse 12 says, these gifts were given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Because remember, by grace in verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He's the one who measures the gifts out. He's the one who extends them through his spirit to the church. But those who've been called into roles of leadership in the local church are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. In other words, to help you discern and deploy how God has gifted you. Now, there is an entire listing of spiritual gifts that have been released to the church, and you can find them in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. You might write this down. Romans 12, 6 to 8. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11. 
in verse 28. So chapter 12 in both books, Romans and 1 Corinthians. We see prophecy and serving and teaching, encouraging. We see wisdom, knowledge, faith, help, discernment, healing, miracles, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues. Again, there are some of those gifts listed that we here would see as uh, temporary. And it's not the purpose of my time to go through a, a specific definition of each of those. But I'll just make this comment. I would view, in concert with our elder team, that gifts of healing, miracles, speaking in tongues, and interpreting are not active functioning gifts. However, does God heal? Does God at times use people to heal others? Yes. There are miracles. There are people who have, have occasions where they have, have spoken in such a way that they released the good news of Jesus in a language that others around them said, I did not understand you, but the person hearing them could understand. God is big. And so we don't put God in a box, but we don't necessarily see all of those sign gifts as active, functioning, regularly used gifts as much as we see the others. We can have a side conversation about that if that, because uh, I realize that may um, uh, conflict with your tradition and background. We're still brothers and sisters. It's okay. Point is, is that you all have received some gifting from God that is yours to discern and deploy. And the reason is that we will attain, verse 13, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There are outcomes of each of us knowing and using our gifts that happen in the church. It deepens our unity in what we believe. It increases our knowledge in who Jesus, the ascended one, is. It helps us all walk in maturity. When we serve, we grow up. We become more conformed to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. It should not come as a shock to us that that works in the church. Finish this phrase for me. Idle hands are the... You know that colloquial phrase, idle hands are the devil's workshop? It's a way of saying when you are not involved, it is easy to stray. But if you are a group of people on mission and on mission together and we're serving in Christ's name together and we're using our gifts arm in arm, then we are focused and concentrating on what is most at stake rather than our pet peeves or being tossed about because we get isolated and caught up in lies or divisions. I think that's one of the challenges of 2020 is there was such isolation that it brought in much confusion about what is true, what is false, that has led different individuals astray. We were detached from each other. 
And this call is to link arms serving together. And it will build up unity and knowledge and maturity in the church. We become a greater picture of who Jesus is. So that we will not become what Paul will talk about in verse 14, and that is that we would, may no longer be children. You might put in your uh, margin, uh, this is metaphorical language, that we would not be childish or silly. We may no longer be chill, childlike in our minds or our thinking, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Is it true that there are people who seek to capitalize on the church? (laughs) From the beginning. Is it true that false doctrine tends to work its way into the church? Yes, absolutely. Some of those early doctrines were that you had to follow the Jewish traditions in order to fully be a Christian or to fully be saved. One of the early doctrines that was false was to defy the humanity and the deity of Jesus. He, in in mystery, he is both God and man. And one of the earliest heresies was to try to split those apart. So there are people who seek to capitalize on the church, to get rich off the church, to make a name for themselves off the church. And there's something about us staying on mission together that helps us resist and understand what is the true and pure gospel. If we do not link arms and serve in our gifting, it opens us up to just be a silly place. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Paul is bringing the emphasis that he began in verses 7 through 10 back to Jesus in his rightful place. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the head of Tomball Bible Church. This is his church. And you should run from this church if this ever becomes Hinkle's church. Because I don't even want to be in there. Jesus is the head of the church. He has all the authority. And our unity is grounded in him by the work of the Holy Spirit. And it says, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I'd like for you to underline or put in brackets the phrase, when each part is working properly. Because this is where we're going to land together. Are you working properly? The context is, Do you discern your gifting that God has given you? Whether you are a child, a student, or an adult. That for all who believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, and ascended to his throne, 
You are filled with the Spirit of God, and through the Spirit of God has come a unique gifting and calling that applies to you no matter your age. It is about what God has entrusted to you in this time, in this place, which is why Esther said, or her uncle said to her, that you have been raised up for such a time as this. God in his wisdom, God in his mercy has called us to represent him February 2021 of all times. He had us in mind to create us, give us life, draw us to himself, open our eyes to Jesus, and set us loose. Are you working properly? Am I? Here's the summary of the section that we were just in, of the goals of gifts for the church. Number one, all saints are gifted for ministry. And when we serve, the church unifies, matures, and becomes more like Christ. And serving the body helps each of us grow in truth and love. That's where Paul lands the plane in this section that we, he makes, Jesus makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How will we know that we're unified? That the word love would permeate our children, our students, our adults, and radiate beyond this place. That's where Ben is going to take us next week, y'all is what is the impact and the influence of the church outside these walls? So what is our commitment as a church? At TBC, we seek to make mature disciples. And I want to present to you three components of that. Mature disciples learn to know God together. Mature disciples live low and slow together. That was last week. Humility and gentleness and patience and kindness, the fruit of the Spirit. Mature disciples learn to know God together. We live low and slow together, and we lead in our God-given gifts together. It's not on the shoulders of the pastoral staff or the ministry staff or the elders of the church to do the work of the church. It is to the saints of the church to do the work of the church. It falls on church leadership to help you discern and know and understand and then use your gifts. The reason why we wanted to take this time with this kind of series is because it's time for TVC to redeploy. We are coming out of a season that has been difficult, not just with COVID, but there's been fractured, relationships, and so much time and attention had, had been given to guiding the church through difficult times, and now God has brought us to a new place where it's time to go. But how are we going to do that? Well, I want to share with you what our commitments are, and then ask you to pray for our elder team in two specific areas. How will we do this at TBC? Number one, 
we will equip you in knowing and learning, living the word. We will equip you in knowing and living the word. Learning to know our God and living according to the principles of Scripture is part of being a mature disciple. And we want to offer quality learning outlets for you, for your kids, your students, and for us together. We will never plumb the depths of who our Christ is. And so we will equip you in that. We will call you, uh, I should add, unceasingly into life-giving relationships. Tonight, our family in partnership with the Schmitz family, we get to launch our life group. And I need that. I need a place where I can't ever just remove who I am from the role that I have, but I need a group of people that can just see the hink. Or Dave. Not, sorry, I said that, Pastor Hinkle. I'm excited about that because I need life-giving relationships. Our family needs that. We're not in a desperate place, but I'm excited. And I want that for everyone. That you know that you are together with someone, somewhere, somehow that's moving you toward Christ. We will call you into life-giving relationships. We will help you take steps to serve. So there may be people in here who you know what your gifting at least has been, but you don't know where to deploy. We can help you. We can help connect you to ministries inside and outside the church to help you live out your gifting and calling. If you have felt stuck, like you've been running on some kind of spiritual treadmill, you're, you're moving, but you're not taking any ground, if that's you, we can help. We want to help you find outlets where you can serve. We have ministry teams inside the church, and then there are ministry callings and efforts outside the church. And finally, we seek to develop leaders to do the same, to equip, call, and help. I hope this is the content of a discipleship series or message for every church everywhere. But here are two specific areas where you can pray for the elders of our church. Number one, we have a retreat coming this weekend where we're going to look at from things uh, of, of how best to redesign and develop discipleship where we are learning, living, and leading together as a church. Things have been disrupted. There's been elements of learning that haven't come back on Sunday mornings and different things like that. We're navigating COVID and it seems like things are calming and there's hope. So this is a really timely retreat for our team to seek God's face together, and to, and to come away with some goodness. Pray for us in that. Then secondly, uh, this is a season where we are seeking to add to our elder team. And so we are prayerfully seeking who God might raise up to join us in this disciple-making, leading work. We believe 
that there are men in this church that God has graciously gifted with that kind of call. And we get the joy of helping them discern that. Two areas of prayer, the retreat and the new elder process. Will you commit to that? Awesome. Let me pray for us. Thanks for listening. To find out more, visit us online at tomballbible.church.